welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. This is the Investing Power Hour number 58. I was thinking once we get to 100, we may have to do it a real drinking power hour during the show as a celebration for doing 100 episodes if we get there. Although that's 40, that's about a year away. Uh, besides the fact, my name is Brett Schaefer, and I am joined, as always, by Ryan Henderson. And on the Investing Power Hour, we talk about whatever is happening in the financial markets, investing news, anything we want to talk about today. We have potential U.S. ban on short selling. We have a spicy, uh, what was it? That was from a, it was from a court document about Square slash Block's acquisition of title. Basically, they were who we thought they were. We uh, not to toot our own horn, our own horns, but that was we were correct on that. We have Airbnb earnings, an update on inflation, and Google's I/O event. If we get that far, Ryan, let's just kick it off right to you. How are you doing this week? How are you getting through earnings season? I know it's a lot of yeah. reading for all of us during it's this a busy time one. Period. It is yeah. a busy one. Um, Lots of earnings to get to, which is a little draining at times, but there's been a lot of, I don't know, uh, it's exciting because I always get like that halfway through the quarter when there's no earnings. I just get a little bored sometimes. I'm like rereading companies that we've already kind of read, like hoping to see something different. Um, but there was also the the Berkshire meeting, which we did not attend, but- um, Don't worry. I was in- if anyone's wondering, I did hold down the fort in Santa Barbara for Munger. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as much as Omaha sounds nice, I don't know if I was going to skip it for California. Yeah. Um, no, we got a lot of stuff to get to. I wanted to pull something up because we recently did a, uh, we took a uh, look at block for a not so deep dive. Do you want, do you need to share the screen or no? No, no, we don't okay. need to share the screen, but. I remember, so just for context, I believe Block was sued by some shareholders lately and they had to go to court over their acquisition of title. It seemed like, it seemed exactly like what it was. Uh, It didn't fit the business and Jack Dorsey wanted to be friends with Jay-Z. And so um, that's what, I think that's basically what people were concerned about. Um, And in our lowlights for, for, for for block when we were doing the not so deep dive, one of your lowlights, I'll go ahead and throw it right here. It says purchase of title. They haven't done anything with title. It is still in the number th- in basically in the 30s on the audio app store charts. This is going to be a hole in its pocket for years. And with Jay-Z on the board and a friend of Dorsey, it feels unlikely they will sell it. So um, yes. let me go through. Some of the court documents or some of the stuff from the court documents, because this is just, I don't, and we, we used to be block shareholders, but some of our concerns feel validated through this. So I'm just going to read a couple of quotes from the, basically from the court documents. It says, block facilitates payment processing and helps individuals transfer money electronically. This is kind of known, but it's, it's important. <laughs> It had never ventured into the music streaming industry, and at the time it acquired title, had no plans to do so. The idea for the acquisition came to Jack Dorsey, Block's founder, CEO, and chairman, when he on was on a summer- mushroom trip. No, sorry, keep going. <laughs> when he was summering with Carter, and Carter is Jay Z, uh, in the Hamptons. From his Hamptons retreat, Dorsey joined a video conference meeting of Block's board and proposed that Block acquire title. The board formed a transaction committee to consider the proposal. Just imagine being on the board this guy's like probably faded and yeah yeah no him and jay-z are about six hours into an acid trip yeah and he's like yeah i like this title's not working it's failing jack is like bro i want to 
well, we got to hang out more. How about I buy this from you? <laughs> and yeah, exactly. I think an analyst at the time called it picking up a friend's bar tab so that you can stay friends with him. And I think that's a very apt description because I'm going to keep going. Uh, so remember, they they formed a transaction committee to evaluate the proposal. And the transaction committee, keep in mind, these are board members. The board members, I just checked the proxy, are paid handsomely every year, $200,000. And this is their only job. Yeah, I mean, you get paid $200,000 to $300,000 to basically tell the CEO yes. And of course, the shareholders could vote you out. So if you if you were to get voted out, it would be on the shareholders. But who's the largest shareholder? Who's the majority shareholder? Not in terms of shares, but in voting power? Jack Dorsey. Um, and they've been trying to get rid of the dual class share structure, but Dorsey voted against it, unsurprisingly. Um, so it says, over the ensuing months, the committee learned that Tidal was failing financially, losing its major contracts, and facing an ongoing criminal investigation. The committee also learned that Carter, Jay-Z, personally loaned Tidal $50 million to help the troubled company through its difficulties. Well, nothing wrong with that, but I mean. Yeah, but it's usually a I mean, sign sure, of yeah, distress. It's, yeah, yeah, it's a sign of distress. Yeah, yeah. And so... Okay, yeah, title was a bad business. This this is clear. I mean, music streaming is tough at scale. Music streaming subscale when you have like literally no users is really tough. Um, and so there's obviously ways that you can spin any merger, you can spin any acquisition, and say it's going to be better if we own it. I mean, Chit Chat Money could have bought Title and said, and we could have had a 20 slide presentation that said, well, we'll have exclusive distribution points here, which means higher margin, that kind of, you know, like there's always something you could do. And so people touted like Cash App, maybe, but really it made no sense. This, they basically, um, they asked questions to, or the, uh, from what I understand, the transaction committee asked a number of questions to Dorsey and the team that was proposing to buy it. And it says, before its October meeting, the transaction committee asked whether any of the any other members of senior management supported the acquisition. In response, the committee learned that there were none aside from Dorsey. The transaction committee asked whether the artist's commitments, which formed the basis for at least half of management's valuation of title. Yeah, keep in mind there's, you know, were they? Music, they were music, losing music streaming without artists. They're, if you're losing artists, and they, they were losing artists, is that what was going on? Yeah, and if you, I mean, your value, it's you're not worth a whole lot if you don't have artists in your music streaming platform. Um, like a lot of artists, obviously. Uh, so he, they asked. So the transaction committee asked whether the artist commitments, because they were just verbal commitments, which formed the basis for at least half of management's valuation of title, were legally enforceable. In response, the committee learned that Block would have no recourse if the artist decided to walk away. The transaction committee asked for near and long-term plans for integrating title into Block's business. This is an important part. In response, the committee learned that management had not created these plans and that this remained one of the biggest risks. Yeah. I mean, the the best, first off, one, almost all acquisitions are, you know, tough. Second, the best move here is to shut down title tomorrow or the next day or the day after because it's just gonna burn a bigger hole in Block's pocket. And it was a three hundred what something million acquisition, say three hundred million dollars, but eventually it's gonna burn a billion dollars or more, and it's just gonna be terrible and worse every single day it operates. And third, bringing it back to maybe a slightly related topic, watching people like Dorsey, companies like Square, it was so easy to predict on succession that Gojo was a fraud. Right? I call it, I mean, come on, everything, I'm on a roll right now. I call it, right? I don't know, we can talk yeah, about that did, maybe later. You call but, that. Call but that. It, you, you, there's a real lesson there is that there are patterns from how these executives act. Yeah. I mean, this was clear when they, I mean, for, first when he was running multiple companies and, you know, never, there was, there was questions about that. Two public companies at the same time. There was 
when he started to loop Bitcoin into every single facet of its business, that yeah. felt like it was in the best interest of him as opposed to the best interest of the business. Um, when they acquired Afterpay for $42 billion, maybe that was- uh, 29, 42 or times 20, sales. 42 times sales, sorry. Um, maybe it'd be better if it was backwards. The <laughs> it, uh, I mean, maybe yeah, that yeah, was yeah. good intent, but I mean, it was clearly wrong. Yeah, that it's business- drive is- value for shareholders. Yeah, that business is falling apart too. Yeah, we have uh, Matt H., loyal listener. Dorsey doesn't care about shareholders. It is legitimately that simple. I think that's it. Yeah, you gotta, management's important. I don't think you can ignore that when looking at some of these companies. A business can be as good as possible. It can be the best one in the world and they can destroy it by taking in the cash flow. They gotta do something rational with it. Um, Another question here, or unless you have something else on this topic. Yeah. I have some other stuff. So we, we have a number of friends that are invested in block and I'm sure we were invested in block for a long time. And if we weren't forced to sell, maybe we, I bet we would have sold it, but maybe we would have owned it and kind of tried to look past. But if you're doubting or you're maybe still hopeful that Jack Dorsey has cares deeply about minority shareholders, there was that proposal in the proxy statement to remove the dual class share structure so that it could be more meritocratic where every every share is one equal vote and it would be basically like this progressive phase out of the dual class share structure if if he believed in meritocracy and this like very you know this yeah. democratic crypto, process yes. speak of like speaking of crypto yeah democratization right then and if he believed that he was right the right guy for minority shareholders, why not let them have the say? And instead he voted against that proposal. So um, no, I, I think it's very clear that he does not have minority shareholders' best interest at heart. Yeah, and it's disappointing because it's a promising business. It should, you know, creates a lot of value for all its stakeholders. And it seems like one of those that, yeah, just should have a lot of promising growing. But you know, sometimes management's not going to be there. You don't have to own every company. And if, if you don't trust management, you gotta you just can't own it because if something bad happens and you don't trust management, you're gonna get really antsy. It's gonna make you nervous. It's gonna the, the likelihood of you making a bad decision, I think, rises. But here's a question we have from uh Mark USA. Don't think that's your real name. Uh have you guys ever looked at Matterport? Uh, still bullish long term. Very strong looking earnings this quarter. I that actually just sparked an idea for maybe a theme we should do for a, a one of the you know next quarters. Not so deep dives, and I think it should be Fallen Angels. I think Matterport could be one of them because I remember looking at the business. It seemed fairly promising, but it came out as a spac, and I remember looking at that valuation, and it was fairly absurd. And maybe right now. It could be uh could be more interesting, but besides that, I, I only have high level knowledge of the business and that it was growing quickly, but the valuation was a bit crazy. Ryan, have you followed this company at all? No, I I just heard someone talking about the earnings like I don't know thirty minutes ago, and they did mention it, it is still a lot like a private company, um, from what I understand. I think stock based compensation accounted for eighty percent of revenue, so I mean, it, there's elements to this where it's not really in my wheelhouse um, in terms of like what I like with a business. Um, But yeah, the tech, I remember looking at the tech and being pretty impressed. And one of the venture capitalists that was involved there was Josh Wolf, who's a person I really like or a thinker that I really like. Um, But if I remember seeing correctly that operating losses were more than a hundred percent, uh, or we're higher than revenue. So it takes some time, I think, to get it, it's uncertain whether or not it'll ever return cash back to shareholders, which is kind of why yeah. what we look for when we invest. So I don't know, it, it could be too early stage for us. Yeah, 100%. All right, here's yeah, another we, we avoid early stage stuff. Yeah, the plague generally, generally, or any ideas that we've 
thought were promising usually went down. We haven't owned them, but we're like, oh, this seems interesting. And then it goes down 90%. We're like, okay, phew. Well, learn it. Yeah, learn while it's on the watch list. Um, okay, here's a fun one. What do you guys think about the geopolitical risk associated with owning Chinese stocks right now? Are they worth looking into or should investors just stay away? I do not think they're worth looking into at all. The risk is too high that you're not going to get your money back. You're owning a lot of ADRs. It's just too confusing. I do wish I could own something like BYD because that just seems like a absolute like runaway train of just growth and dominating the EV market as the low-cost provider, and they're just going to expand internationally. However, I can't really own it. I, mean, I know Buffett owns it. Um, like That's great. He can own it because he has that relationship. But for us, unless you have that, I think it's just best to stay away. I mean, has your opinion changed on this, Ryan, at all? No. It, it, well, I don't know. Yeah, probably not. It, it just seems like every six months we see something that's very concerning. Um, so it kind of makes it hard to own. I did see another comment from, I believe, Mads Capital that says, give me your take on the value trap. Yeah, I brought up his tweet. tweet. Do you I, to, I saw this earlier. Um, Do you want me to read off the list? Or you sure. It? I don't know. I got them all. Four or five of them. but Well, I do. PayPal, Match Group, Intel, 3M, CVS, Altria, Alibaba, Paramount. Glad we only own one of those. <laughs> but he also called it the puke basket as they seem to just puke downwards and not rise. Um, I, I really dislike Paramount. Um, so maybe that's blinding me here, but I don't think it does this well. I got a feeling, I, though, that Intel is just the government's not going to let that do poorly. You know what I mean? I just have a that's my gut feeling. OK, it's not going to let them fail. Yeah, exactly. Maybe, do actually, well for shareholders is a different question. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but when I said I don't know a number of those, I mean, I know what they are. I know what 3M is. I know what CVS is. I know Intel, but I do not know them well enough to have like. Oh, yeah, yeah any sort of a good take paypal okay i think i think that would i think that could perform well yeah but like part of me is like, like 13 14 times cash flow i know maybe like i'm so biased against them maybe that is just why there's an opportunity and if they get you know a solid buyback program going they start returning cash to shareholders it could be interesting because the numbers always look much better than i expect they do have a good buyback program going. $1.4 billion bought back this quarter on a billion dollars in free cash flow. So more than they can sustainably. But um, is that, are they on our schedule for next month? Do you know? I think they are. All right. Well, that'll be fun. Tune uh, into that. Yeah. They do have some stock based comp, if I'm not mistaken. I'm looking right now and trying to see if there's shares outstanding. What's happened? Normalized five years. Uh, shares are standing here down four percent over the last five years, but it's all happened kind of within the last year or two. So, <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. All right. I do hate Back the to- business, though. I hate to take. I hate the fees. The first, the the core business. Yeah. Not the checkout part because I'm not really on the merchant side, but I hate the uh transfer international transfers. Yeah, and maybe when we dig into the business, it actually won't be that big of a part of the business. But it, again, I don't know. I don't know it well enough yet. Ask us in six weeks, and we'll we'll know well enough on that. But yeah, all right. You think match Other, groups a value trap? Could be. I don't think so. Yeah. It ha- it, well, it has been, but another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, here's my concern. Uh, I think Hinge, I think Hinge can be a billion dollar revenue business. I think it can be just as profitable as Tinder. But I am worried that Tinder, there's no reviving that brand. What do you mean? Downloads are still high. <laughs> I know, but like there is uh, among everyone, there is such a stigma. Like, okay, That's it's true. just Russian bots and spam and women that are not who they say they are probably men who are pretending to be women um yeah hey i met some real women on there on tinder yeah oh yeah well internationally i've heard it's very different u.s it's probably its worst market yeah um but that is my looming concern but i don't know we own that one so maybe that shows you our opinion on that. But the uh, it's it, what's great though is that management seems to understand this. They don't specifically say it as frankly as you just did, but they seem to understand that that's the concern. And hopefully, you know, they're they're finally addressing it as they should have three years ago. True. Altria, yeah, my, mm, I would say value as opposed to value trap. But if they're declining, if cigarettes are declining by double digit percentage no uh, i would call value trap like perpetually if uh, I, I saw one comment that was like what's there going to be one pack of cigarettes left that's selling for 60 billion dollars cuz yeah. it's like you know part of it is immigration if the us population goes up right but also yeah like what is the normalized decline that's just the giant question and we were kind of right i think we sold it we owned it in the first year of the fund, sold it for, I think it was like high 40s, maybe low 50s. Around 50-ish, yeah. And our concern was that there could be an acceleration in the decline rates, and it seems like that's happened. Um, but yeah, I would say, just given the dividend, I'd probably say value as opposed to value trap. Yeah, it'd be hard to lose money unless... If you don't reinvest the dividends, I mean, it'd be, you know, very hard to lose money. I don't know how much money you're going to make, but I think preserving your capital, inflation adjusted. Um, do you want to hit our next topic so we can get through a few of these? Uh, should the U.S. ban bank short selling? I think this is fascinating. So why don't you go through that, Ryan? Yeah, I know so, sort of our maybe free market enthusiasts that listen are probably when they hear that's that question think absolutely not and that was kind of my gut reaction too but there's some interesting stuff that's been going around um around short selling with regional banks so there was this twitter thread from bob elliott he's the cio of unlimited funds apparently he used to work at bridgewater he says since last week there has been acute downward pressure across regional bank stocks particularly focused on i think that's I don't want to get this one wrong because there's two. I believe it's Pac West, not Pacific West. Two two separate banks, just to be clear. And then WAL. Not really sure. These are I'll look, it up. Regional, I'll look it up. Regional, while you go. Both regional bank stocks. What has been driving down those short loss, or what have been driving down those losses? Question mark. Short selling and put activity. The reality is that it doesn't take much flow at this point to create big moves, given the market caps are on the order of one to two billion dollars. You can see. They have daily put option volume. There's this chart. Um, uh, I'm not going to show, but daily put put option volume have just spiked for both PacWest and Western Alliance. And then he says it's not just those two banks. According to the Chicago Board Options Exchange, the regional bank ETF KRE is the ticker is the fourth most traded options contract behind S and P 500, Nasdaq, and what's IWM? I think that's Russell 2000. Russell 2000. So clearly there's interest in the derivatives on these. Here's the issue though. Um, typically I would not care, but because if, if 
if the price is tampered with for like a traditional bank or a traditional business, like a software business, like, okay, whatever the stock goes down, it doesn't really have that big of an effect. But given what's happened here, people manipulating the stock price, and there's clear examples now where the stock price, huge declines, um, create big news articles on it. It scares off depositors, depositors flee, and then you have an actual bank run. And so, and then it makes the stock manipulation worth it because you're right. And you can kind of hide behind, oh, well, they're going to have long-term problems anyways. There is a question. And in September, 2008, the US and UK regulators temporarily banned investors from selling short financial stocks. I think, or I'll pose a question to you. Do you think that this should be, the short selling should be more regulated for the banking system in America or only in times of turmoil? I think it makes sense in modern times because of the ability uh, to, you know, communication flows so quickly to everyone now because of the internet and the ability to take your money out immediately because of the internet. I think this could make sense. I'd be with, I'd be on the side of banning the short selling. There was a uh, usually short sellers get a bad rep, but I think in this case, like I don't, I don't know if they're being malignant here, but I would be on the side of banning it just because. Look, the healthy banking system is is more important than short sellers in this case. I think. I can't remember where I saw it, but apparently there was a video with uh, Jamie Dimon saying that they should be, um, if you're purposely manipulating. The prices of regional banks or banks in general, there should but be. What what is purposely man- manipulating? You can't really prove that, can you? You could have a thesis on the company. You're going to short it. You could be manipulating it. You're if you're shorting it to cause fund damage to the actual business, yeah. not damage to the stock. But where's the proof on that? Yeah, I think I think in general, like it, it, look, short sellers can make money in other stuff. Banks. With these specific specifically, maybe they only do it in times, like you said, that are stressful periods. But how do you define that? You know, I think just putting a general ban on that would assuage people's concerns, especially because there's a large part of the general population that doesn't understand short selling. So, banning it, they would think like, "Oh, that's a positive for the business," and since psychology is so important in banking, I think that's that's a positive. I would much rather have short sellers be a little angry than having all these banks collapse. Uh, it's one of those things where it's, yeah, short selling for some reason is like a bad word for the public. I think people yeah, just well, have like, there's just like the stigma where it's only, like, only oh, if they're evil short sellers. Only See, if they're naked, yeah. The other ones is the the other term that politicians always target is they they always say enriches shareholders yeah and i'm like that's the the shareholders of the public for most of the companies so it's like it sounds like this evil side of like society but it's i don't know it's it's the public so enriches calpers yeah the (laughs) yeah they always talk about the 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 dark pools they talk about shadow banks which the, the, those terms, whoever came up with that, it, it, sorry, you just had some bad branding there. But yeah, they also talk about, I love when people talk about naked short sellers because I still do not know what the hell that is. And it's just no, hedges. no, that's not what it means. I think I think what they mean is that they pretend to, they short shares without getting any shares and they call them naked because then you can short unlimited amount. This is their, these are the conspiracy th- series I like to read about. They think there is an unlimited amount that they've shorted. They call them the naked short sellers. So when they start a rally in the stock, they think that they're going to have to try to buy back the stock. But all these naked shorts have no share. There's too many of them, so they're not going to be able to buy back 100% of the float. It's it's incredible stuff. And uh, it is a funny term, naked short sellers. Just a bunch of people without clothes on. The uh, or uh, or ladder attacks. I mean, that's that's a classic. I did think it was. Uh, I'll be honest. I thought it was just unhedged exposure. No, that- yeah, that that does sound right. But anyway, um, well, that's kind of my two big topics. Airbnb reported earnings. I thought they looked pretty good. Um, but 
we can talk. Yeah, but about who that would stay later. in Airbnb? Who would stay in Airbnb, Ryan? Hey, I, I, I know. I saw some cold takes about how, and everyone has a cold take that hotels are better than Airbnbs. There are yeah, certainly for one, for one night. Yeah, one hundred percent. There's more predictability. You know the quality you're probably going to get with like a Hilton or something like that, but it's way more cost effective for to a, stay there for a long term stay or for a family. Yeah, for a single person or a business traveler or a couple for two or three nights or less hotels. Great. Everything else, Airbnb crushes them. Uh, but why don't we do the inflation update? Cause I think this is interesting. First, let me share a quick chart here just to show and give people context before I go through some of these notes. We've slowly become macro people. Well, it's interesting right now this week. I think it's interesting. Um, uh, and on these shows, I do like to not talk about individual stocks we own too much. All right, let's share it. Let's zoom in. Come on. It always makes me press on the thing to zoom in. All right. So if you can see that here, we have the chart. It's year-over-year inflation. The blue is services. I think a lot of that's housing. Orange is goods. Uh, Make sure to de- describe what you're seeing. Yeah, I will describe after what I'm seeing. Okay. And then food is yellow, energy is green. In early 2021, or excuse me, late 2021, early 2022, the majority of inflation was from goods. So think apparel, just physical products and energy. So think, you know, oil prices were skyrocketing. Now in, you know, early 2023, as we sit here today, the majority of inflation is from services. So think housing. And then there's, a good chunk from food as well. And there was a lot, you know, a lot of notes on this week's, or excuse me, yeah, this week's inflation report covering the month of April. I think generally that kind of transition is the big highlight people were talking about. I and mean, we saw the overall rate fall below, slightly below 5%. Uh, you know, it continues to, to steadily fall. Um, but I think the big takeaway from this report and I know it generally is going to figure itself out. And yeah, like you mentioned, Ryan, we don't actually invest due to these things, but I still still think it's really interesting either way, is housing and shelter costs are driving inflation right now. And the big question is, will there be disinflation in shelter costs, which for reference is 35% of the CPI, it's the largest factor, over the next year to get inflation from the current 5% down to 2%. Uh, a lot of analysts seem to think that this will happen because of the lagging data in shelter. Uh, there's a good quote from Colin Roche at Discipline Funds, and a lot of other analysts think this as well. Here's the quote. The reason shelter lags so much is due to the way the BLS surveys consumers. What they do is try to reflect the manner in which shelter contracts reflect sticky prices, so rents are updated every six months. For instance, your rent doesn't change every month. It typically changes once a year, and so inflation can be rising, but you won't experience the increase until the landlord updates your contract. So there's a temporal lag in the way consumers actually experience shelter inflation, whereas the CPI is reported in a real-time manner. So what he's saying is that real-time data that's not showing up in the inflation reports yet is pointing towards disinflation in rent prices and housing prices. And that if this continues, we're going to get inflation back down to two, 3% within the next year or so. Now, so you're my, telling me home prices are coming down. Well, that either now I know that's what I thought at first, but then I kept thinking, well, that, that can just mean flat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or it could actually be still be rising, but just at 2% a year instead of, instead of 10. Now here's saying that for a while though. Well, it's starting to, it's starting to happen. Um, yeah, it's starting to happen. And I think that that's why we've been so fascinated about housing over the last year or so. And I want to have a question here before we maybe move on to some topics that we can have maybe a little bit more real insights on. Do we think inflation is going to head lower for the rest of the year because of these trends in housing? Or do you have no idea? I have no idea. I might just leave it at that. I've been a housing bear 
it's like the only thing that's held up shockingly and in some markets it hasn't held up yeah, we're seeing energy, it, but, yeah look at that chart right it was it's gotten it, it's gotten worse to start the year yeah and i don't know like my and there's there's a bunch of moving parts housing supply is a big part of it but ultimately i feel like it comes down to affordability i wonder and, if interest rates actually hurt that so there's really only one the way I see it, there's like four things that can happen. Either A, interest rates can come down, making homes more affordable because the more the rate on your mortgage isn't as high. Home prices can come down, making homes more affordable. Median incomes can slowly rise to make homes more affordable. Or we can stay in this limbo phase for Forever. <laughs> a while while mortgage applications just shrink and shrink and shrink. Yeah, nothing happens. Yeah. I, I don't know what's going to happen to inflation with shelter, but I think it's important for anyone that cares about inflation to know that right now the composition has totally changed over the last few quarters. Or fifth, fifth one, this may be the other real fourth one. People can start to pay more as a percentage of their income for the houses, but that is going to have an effect on the rest of the economy because there's less money to be spent elsewhere. Maybe that leads to disinflation and deflation and the other stuff like food and goods and um, maybe energy really as well because there's less dollars flowing to that and there's, you know, the supply is not going to decrease by 20%. Who knows? Who knows? There's a lot of moving parts and I've, Heard so much like, yeah, we'll probably do a housing update in like a month or something. But I thought this inflation report was fascinating. That chart, I think, which just really highlights it. Um, I feel like we've go, been talking uh, about real estate, regional banks, and we stopped talking about tech layoffs, but we were talking about tech layoffs like right. every episode for like four months. For the last three months. Um, do we want to hit anything with Airbnb earnings? Was there anything interesting? It seemed kind of just steady Eddie. I know it's a company we both follow. Well, I mean, so they get, uh, if you look at their cash flow margin this quarter, it looks really high. There's a whole bunch of unearned uh, revenue. From what I understand, they just, it's a working capital thing where people pay Airbnb first. They don't pay it out to the hosts for a certain yeah. amount of time. So um, the the one huge benefit here is with interest rates rising, they can purchase short-term securities and earn higher interest on that cash um that i don't know it kind of excites me this feels like a business that's actually like genuinely changed the world it's changed the way people travel it's changed how people can afford their homes because they can rent out extra bedrooms like they never have been able to before and and or it's changed how people can kind of generate income i don't know i love the business and i would love for it to be a cheaper stock yeah, it's at about 33 times trailing earnings on an, when you include their cash well. That's that's bringing down the to the EV as well. Uh, I just ran the numbers, so yeah, not great. Don't as a fair warning to everyone, do not use the cash flow number. It only looks really strong when they're growing, and as they mature, that cash flow is going to translate closer to their net income. Although, as Ryan mentioned, they do have you know really have that strong advantage with that working capital to hold on their balance sheet. I believe the number they earned this quarter with interest rates rising was about 150 million in net interest, which over a full year, that's fantastic because they did about $2 billion in operating income and their interest income is actually leads them to have their net income being like right around the same amount. But yeah, I mean, having like 600 million on an annualized basis, that would just be fantastic. But I think Q1 the seasonally a little bit higher. There's also another comment because we were talking about how people are always like, who, you know, who even wants to use Airbnb? So uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce that name because I think it's I think it's fake. fake. <laughs> but he says they said the same thing about Meta that nobody uses it. Yeah, I, I agree. People talk about how Facebook and Instagram are kind of washed and old, old tech, but people are addicted to that stuff. Yeah, and maybe people are saying the same thing about Tinder, but that that's more of a TBD because the downloads look good, but 
We should timestamp this because if Match Group is a huge winner yeah, in the next <laughs> 10 years, let's say, and Tinder like stagnated for a couple quarters and everyone said the business is going to die, like it's going to the it's going to shrink and shrink and shrink. We will see why it was so hard to have bought because maybe people will look back in 10 years and say, How did someone not own Match Group? It was trading at whatever, 10 times cash flow, and it was growing users in a booming industry, something like that. But you can see right now why it's more difficult to buy in the moment. It's like people saying, why didn't you buy MasterCard in 2013 or something like that? Obviously, 20, it's more 2011. Than yeah, 2011. 2011, but yes. Yeah. What was that? The, the uh, Something act. There was, a, there was some legislation that was potentially going to get passed. Yeah. No, yeah, totally true. And we can, yeah, we can use them to show that we were right. Or we could use the videos to show if we were right. But if it's wrong, our show is so uh, small enough that no one's going to remember. So win once. Yeah. Except for, except, for, except for in the stock returns, which is, I guess, what truly matters. All right. Other topic is the Google I.O. event. I think this is interesting, especially this year. Well, they seem to hit all the buzzwords and got their stock up, which whatever. Uh, I don't understand who's buying just because they said AI a hundred times at at the event. But I think like Apple, this is one of the tech companies when when they do announcements and they change part of their operating systems, they can have reverberations across dozens and dozens of hundreds of companies in the world just because they are being, you know, are one of the dominating operating systems at this event, which I guess for any listeners or viewers, it is their annual event where they update a lot of their hardware. They update a lot of their software services, basically everything. They just do a bunch of announcements on their products. It's about two hours long. So for anyone that doesn't watch it, here was a few of the big things. First, yes, they did throw a lot of AI buzzwords into the product updates. I'm probably going to refrain from talking too much about those because we can't really provide any value for the listeners there. Uh, Go listen to some AI expert out there, which there seems to be millions uh, online now. Uh, but first, here, here's what I thought was interesting. And I think we can have some fun discussions on here. They announced three new hardware devices. First, an $1,800 foldable phone, I think under the Pixel line. Second, a $500 tablet slash smart speaker. And third, a $500 discounted Pixel device. Here's my question. We can just call it a flip phone for short. The flip phone, yeah. Although it's it's pretty meaty, it's it turns into like a tablet, so it's it's not as it's like the the sizing is completely opposite. But yes, yeah. Uh, I just find it ironic that or we're going back in time. Yeah, and here's the question: with Pixel hardware sales soaring, I believe they're growing about a hundred percent from a very small base, mind you. So don't get too excited about this. Is it smart for Alphabet? to keep pushing these devices at lowish cost because with this tablet that's really undercutting you know an ipad i know a lot of people won't change from the ipad i have like an eight-year-old ipad that we got from playing college sports that is finally falling apart i think i actually might buy this tablet from google uh because it also has the smart speaker and like 500 bucks you know um do you think it's smart to sell these at a pretty you know discounted price excluding the foldable phone to reduce search and youtube you know, traffic acquisition costs, which is their largest cost of revenue. What do you think, Ryan? Oh, I don't know. As someone that's been incredibly impatient about Google's lack of earnings growth, I would say no. But long-term, it seems like the right move. The other thing is like a lot of these things are very affordable when you throw the financing plans on there. People think- Yeah. Although I, I did that, I did that, and I don't like it. Maybe it's just because I've been traveling internationally. They lock you in. You can't like change the SIM card and stuff. So anyone listening, there are a lot of downsides to that. Maybe, I don't know. But yeah, you are right. The other thing is a lot of the um, or cell phone providers, your, your plan providers will subsidize a lot of these costs where they'll say, you know, we'll give you this half off for if you switch or something like that. So um, what do you think about, uh, okay. I think it just makes it more affordable. Like the headline numbers always seem really expensive where 
it's probably a little more affordable for people than it maybe seems. Yeah. All right. Do you think the foldable phone probably a bust, right? Yeah, probably. At least they're pricing it at high enough things where it's only going to be a niche device and maybe they actually make money on it. What's the point of it? Like folding. So it's like a, like a tablet for, for games. So it's actually a, a bigger screen. Um, and you How can big play is games. Thing? Let's let's look. I mean, I just like don't picture that being a very well, common you, use case. Do you play mobile games? I mean, right? Maybe, but do you really need it to fold in order to play Candy Crush? No, but it's more of a. Um, come on, what are the specs? Give me the specs. Come on. Yeah, it's not saying anything. It says it's bigger than galaxies. Just give me the inches. Uh, seven point six inches. So piece of paper is eleven. So pretty close. Pretty big. One folded out. I don't know. I think it's a, I think it's, it for, it's for it's for honest. gaming. Yeah, it's for gaming. But I also agree with you. I got a feeling it's going to be a flop. Flop. Um. Okay. Here's the second one, which I think it actually is a little bit less risky and maybe really really interesting just on where this industry is going they announced major updates for android auto which is their car software services they estimate that they're going to be in 200 million vehicles at the end of the year you can now watch youtube while charging your electric vehicle or just idling um, among other apps they are embracing more crowdsourced navigation on maps and ways which is just like i don't know just helping people get to the right charging stations, just helping people get whatever. And you can also do video conferencing from your car now, so Zoom, Teams, whatever. I think this is really embracing kind of what the EV transition and I. what do you think about the opportunity in automotive for, or for Alphabet as we kind of go to this connected car, as people call it, industry, where you know they're electric, so you're going to have these idle times at the charging stations. You're going to have more autonomous vehicles slash driver assist programs, and you're going to have all of them connected to the internet. I think it's a fairly sizable opportunity for them, but I mean, it's not going to be a game changer, you know, in the near term, but I think it's interesting that they're really going after this and seem to be succeeding. Yeah, it seems just like another way for to expand human beings' time on the internet. Um, yeah, and think about once once we add in Waymo, I mean, just Galaxy Brain, those numbers right there. I was going to say, you throw self driving on those Android Auto, uh, whatever downloads, and uh, boom, you can tr- triple the enterprise value in your DCF. Um, now, I, I don't know, it's interesting, but like, I'll also most people don't charge their car from like a charging station; they charge it while they're at home. So I don't think that market's as big as people think. But yeah. Um, I don't know the auto stuff. Meh, meh, <laughs> meh. For me, I think we we both have cars that aren't new enough to have that, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like nice to have like good functionality while you're driving, but I don't spend that much time, and, and until like cars are driving fully autonomously, autonomously, I don't spend that much time looking at it. Yeah. Even the people I know that have like Teslas don't spend that much time just sitting in the car playing with their screens. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Although it's nice to see them being maybe a little too prepared for the potential self-driving future. Uh, so I think Google is definitely setting themselves up to win that. I mean, if, Waymo's, if is, Waymo's winning what? 10,000 rides a day autonomous. And they're going to 10 X it this year. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not, I mean, that's not that much for ride sharing just because there's so many rides out there. But, I mean, that's not nothing. That's a lot. And people talk about Everyone does the same thing when you tweet about it or talk about it, is they say, well, what are they going to do in January in Chicago? I'm like, well, I, th- I don't think they're going to use it there. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, but whatever. All right, here's a third one. I think it's even more interesting Further, kind of defending their search position in the near term is they are bringing more personalized search results to Google which means generally expanding more outside of just web links. So these could include YouTube clips, Reddit posts, other social media posts. Do you think this is because they see the data of young people 
searching for things more on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube, which I guess is their own property. Yeah. And I just saw something too on like the YouTube homepage. There's like this new, have you seen this? The search labs icon. That's on, that's on the Google homepage. You mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I joined the wait list. Don't know what, what's that for? I think it's for testing new AI tools. So you can like test stuff with them and try out Bard, stuff like that. Yeah. I saw some comment or I I saw some thing today where if you ask Bard, how is the first quarter? It just gets the numbers completely wrong. It's it's like, how is Google's first quarter? It's like revenue is up 23%. Revenue is up like 3%. Yeah. The AI it reference it's 2022 numbers, whatever. AI is the future, I guess. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, we're definitely not in a bubble. Although I think if we are in a bubble, I think we're only in the early stages. I think if we if we are in a bubble, and I'm not saying that this is not a prediction, do not I'm not investing up because of this. I think Microsoft could become the first company to hit a four trillion dollar market cap if we really get into an AI bubble. We hit all you know, the Nasdaq just keeps going. NVIDIA will just become an ultimate bubble stock. I mean, it, it could get crazy again. Do you, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I just could envision it happening. I hope it's not the case. <laughs> you don't want to go through another bubble, uh, a Dude, re-bubble these, again? Every conference call is so boring. Yeah. So here's our AI strategy. Like, I don't, you, you have nothing to do with AI. I don't care. Like, and yeah. every single one is the exact same. It's like there's a lot of talk about AI right now. At at Fiverr, we've been we've been working on AI since our since we started. It's a part of our DNA. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I get everyone's been working on AI, but I it would be a huge green flag for me if I read through a whole shareholder letter or a conference call and did not see the word AI. <laughs> yeah, not hop, hopping on the hype train. Yeah, I mean it's not a giant downside if people talk about it. It's more it'd be more of like we're changing our entire It's the metaverse um, all over again. Yeah, maybe maybe a little more integrated yeah. into actual real life. <laughs> maybe a little more use cases, yeah. But yeah. All right, here's the last thing I thought when reading through all these Google product announcements is you know, with all these AI tools, which for anyone go look them up yourself. I don't have any insights on that. They did a lot though. Um, all the AI tools are coming to Google Cloud and Google Cloud and a lot of these devices and services are powered by Google's own computer chips now. They hyped it up when talking about the hardware, Google Cloud, the AI stuff, and they're generally called TPUs, which I think are tensor processing units. Here's what is interesting is we talked about when, I forget what company we're looking at, but maybe it was on one of these power hours, is the chip companies being, I don't know. If you're NVIDIA over the long term, do you feel threatened a bit by the vertical integration here? I mean, the market could be giant, but I don't know. It seems like this vertical integration strategy from these, from someone like Google or, or Amazon and Microsoft's been a bit behind the ball, but it seems like it's very smart to save on costs. Yeah, I mean... From the outside looking in, if they can successfully produce a chip that saves them money, then yeah, it's great. But I imagine that is a very costly process that most companies well, aren't capable of replicating. Well, TSMC is producing it, but yeah. No, I mean, just like developing a more cost-effective chip, like isn't that, I don't know, probably a little more complicated than it sounds? Yeah, but I think if you it doesn't have to be exactly better than nvidia it just has to be better than nvidia for plus your the, specific plus, use case for your use case and plus the margin there they were going to earn by selling it to you yeah i guess that's true um i don't know chips makes me feel stupid so yeah <laughs> just i know you never have about a, semiconductors like i have zero zero valuable takes but yeah i know you never want to say anything about semis uh that's all right all right <laughs> Here's, What's this energy drink stuff? Well, I saw that energy drink volumes continue to rise. Uh, Celsius, I know that people love that stock, and that earnings report was just a blowout. But Remarkable. here's some, yeah, here's something from uh, LT Lawrence Hantel, who we should probably get back on the show soon. I don't know. There's just a lot of companies that 
be fascinating to cover. He said, I don't remember exactly if it was Buffett or someone else who said that people in 1930 or 1940 would likely have argued that the Coca-Cola story had played out and you missed the boat, but that certainly could have been applied to Monster many times over the last 20 years as well. I think that's quite interesting. Um, I did read, uh, or I'm in the middle of reading The History of Soda, which is pretty good for anyone interested in business history, and that definitely was the case where people thought that it kind of peaked, although World War II was just an absolute uh catalyst for coca-cola but that's besides the and point pepsi right wasn't that wasn't no, like the yeah. great depression right when they came out with the five cent cans and it was just like a huge hit well depression pepsi helped but coca-cola uh world war ii there was various political reasons why coca-cola was the supplier for the army uh for the all the departments of the united states so when they went to all these other countries and were hanging out there they were all drinking coca-cola and yeah, it's pretty good branding. So, but what do you yeah. think on the energy drinks? Do you think we could, like, I remember we talked about energy drink companies and we said, man, I mean, it feels like, you know, it's maturing and stuff like that. And it could just be, there could be 30 years more of runway for the energy drink business. Yeah, there could. I mean, it's still the industry overall is growing volumes like 15%, isn't it? I don't know if it's that hot, but maybe volumes plus pricing. The, uh, I will say, I've been drinking a lot more Celsius as myself. What do you think? I think they're good. I think I'm addicted. <laughs> do they have the B vitamins? What 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 are their health things that they say? Don't know. Tastes good. I they do. And you know what? Monsters tried to copy them a little bit with their own like health focused energy drink. Where I think the only difference, really, maybe there's some chemical difference, but uh, is it's a thinner bottle, so maybe it makes you seem like you're not drinking as much. That'll or, work. Don't don't just that that that'll work. I mean, Red Bull versus Monster people, right? Yeah, it, it works. Um, no, I was looking at that Celsius report, and I'm going to be really upset if Celsius turns out to be a like massive business. A hundred bagger. We we just looked. We just looked at Monster, and we said, "Man, it'd be great to find this." in its early stages. Now the difficulty is Celsius is a $9 billion market cap, I think. So do I think it's going to be almost a trillion dollar business? It's really hard to imagine. <laughs> no, but maybe, yeah, no, I hope, I hope they go through like two rough quarters. Yeah, that'd be great. But they did. And I think we might have now yeah, that they're like, tapped into the Pepsi logistics, it seems like it'll be a little more of an easy going there's always a lawsuit. Maybe there's a lawsuit that comes out. I know that Flo Rida sued him for like $80 million and that was successful, but it didn't really seem to have that big of an impact on the price. Let me try to look at their earnings multiples. Maybe we'll just look at a sales ratio. Nah, they just kind of got to like true earnings power. They jumped from like, I don't know, they're yeah. like 17% operating margins now pretty quickly. Well, let me look at the sales ratio in just because we kind of know what a we can translate that down. Yeah, 2020. Let me just share it. 2020, 27 times sales, 2021, 17 and a half. And now we're closer to, I mean, it's still pretty expensive. Yeah. But doubling volumes, but you can't do that forever, right? Yeah. And it's not going to just convincing ourselves not to buy, even though we, I don't know. I, I Kudos think to everyone that's held on to Celsius. Honestly. Yeah. 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 I mean, the time to buy was. I don't think Monster was doing. I don't think Monster traded at multiples like this. If I remember looking at it correctly, oh. there was like. Let's it was it. not trading at 20 times sales at any point. Yeah. Let's look. Before we wrap so, up here. And maybe because Monster has been so successful, it allows people to want to be. Peak, want yeah. to bid it up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, never been over 10 times. And when it was the ultimate buying opportunities at one time sales. So, and just remember we're, we're using that because of the Celsius hasn't had steady margins. Just think that generally because they're selling drinks, they're going to have similar unit economics. All right. We got two minutes left. Someone said they loved our episode on Nintendo. Thank you. Appreciate that. Right on the, right on the channel. Yeah. A lot of people watched it. So if you're on the podcast app, it's going to be a couple weeks old. And on this 
the YouTube channel. They'll be right there. Yeah, and they just reported earnings too. So, what do you think? Our takes didn't didn't age that poorly. Which is, whenever we publish a show right before earnings, I'm always worried <laughs> that it's just going to totally make the show pointless. Uh, no, I think our takes were still good. It's also worth remembering that the movie and the benefits from the movie were not really incorporated into this quarter. Yeah, they're Q2. Yeah. And the most so, important, if anyone's watching Nintendo, the most important thing is their software guidance. Yeah. And everything looks really good Zelda-wise. That new Zelda game apparently came out, and it's like people are saying it's the best Zelda game of all time. So, yeah. That's a huge go. seller for them. Anyway, and we're nerding out on Nintendo. It's about time. I think we've been recording for 59 minutes, so... Yep, and we can go through the disclosure. If anyone wants to watch these live, they go YouTube every Thursday at around midday. Uh, today was a little later, 2.30 Eastern, but typically we'll do about 12.30 Eastern or maybe a little later. If you're uh, around that time, watch it live, or if you want to watch the replays, you can do so on YouTube or listen to the replays on your favorite podcast player of choice. We don't care what you do. All right. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are uh, general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and the fun questions. We'll see you next time.